0: Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Help for HD Live. Help for HD Live is brought to you by Help for HD International and is made possible by an education grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I am your host, Katie Jackson, and today our guests is Dr. Vicki Wheelock and Lisa Mooney. Dr. Vicki Wheelock is a neurologist and the director of the HDSA Center of Excellence at UC Davis Health. The mission of the HD Clinic at UC Davis is to provide expert and compassionate care to help people and families affected by Huntington's disease, to provide outreach and education to families and health professionals, and to advance HD research. Dr. Wheelock has an extensive experience in HD education and research, and has been an investigator for HD observational studies and clinical trials since 1997. Lisa Mooney is a licensed clinical social worker for the HDSA Center of Excellence, UC Davis, and Northern California HDSA chapter. HD patients and family members, community, and providers can call Lisa regarding HD resources, community resources, benefits information and education, and long-term care planning. We are so thankful uh, for both of them to come on and talk to us uh, today about some stuff going on in the world we're living in, and that is pertaining to what has to do with HD, too. Like, that's our focus, obviously. Um, I want to add a real quick um, kind of a disclaimer here. Um, Everything is changing all the time with COVID-19. Information is constantly changing. Today is March 19th. And the information from the show is relevant for now, today. Obviously, this can change depending on the CDC and the WHO and other government uh, government public health agencies, even your local uh, agencies as well. So, like I said, this is information for today. Um, even today, things have changed with even California going on our Sacramento area, where the three of us are coming to you from, going on um, mandatory self-shelter. So things are changing but let's talk about things right now so thank you both so much for coming on the show it means so much to us um and i think the number one thing people are talking about is risk factor this is very confusing for our community so um does hd fall into a high risk factor
1: So thanks, Katie, and thanks for the opportunity to join everybody today. Um, And I think this is a really important question. I've been thinking a lot about it because we don't really have any research about whether Huntington's disease will weaken the body in the way that certain other conditions like heart disease, lung disease, or diabetes can make people more at risk for having a severe case of COVID-19. So absent any... Any data about this or scientific research? I think a lot of us rely on our clinical um, experience, and it seems that people in the early stages, people who are pre-manifest, who are predominal, who are in early stages, we don't really see other illnesses being more more likely in those patients at all. And I think that would probably be true for COVID-19. But the patients who are in mid-stage or later stage disease, especially if they have difficulty with swallowing or if they've ever had any aspiration or you know inhalation of secretions or food or liquids into their lungs, or if they've had other infections that have uh, weakened their body a bit, I think that they really will be at increased risk of developing severe disease. And so the sheltering in place and the staying um, socially distant from others and staying you know with, with family or with the care providers where they're staying um, is probably the best way to, to, to mitigate that and manage that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so you know I think that uh, people are are saying more about they are kind of talking more about the, the HD um, uh, more later stages of HD I think a lot of our young um, we're seeing on Facebook and social media the big question is exactly what you answered they're all asking you know I'm early stages or I have no symptoms yet am I at more risk what should I do so that is really the, the we see more of that being addressed by by our um, earlier stage um, community more than later stage. Um, so I know that this is this is probably a question that I'm not sure. I know you've been very busy in the clinic, but I also know you have very, very strong ties with our friends in China. So um, have they been doing more research or is it really something that's unknown right now because of the state of kind of chaos?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I I think we just don't have any data yet. So I will tell you that we have been working with our collaborators in in China to to look at whether having neurological conditions of any sort might be somewhat of an increased risk category. And and we, we just, again, we don't have any data yet. I think this disease... Um, has spread so quickly and caused severe pulmonary lung injury um, that gets all of the priorities so we always think about um, in medicine when people are very very sick that airway breathing circulation those are the things that take precedence and the um, and, and neurological changes that might happen as a result of the infection or whether they're seeing more patients um, say with Huntington's or other neurological conditions um, being affected, I think that we're going to find that out later. I think this is something we still have to learn. And I think we will be hearing from China and from other countries and from from within our own networks to the Huntington's clinics um, later this year. I think we'll have a little bit more information about that. Um, to share, but um, we don't think that Huntington's disease gene expansion causes any change in the immune system to make people more vulnerable to infection, for instance, um, or more likely to contract. We, you know, we don't think so. Um, but so following the the recommendations of the general population is is what's best for right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, something another question that seems to be coming up a lot is medications. Obviously, we lean so so. Uh, hard on our medications in our community and we need them so a lot of people are kind of panicking so um but can we talk a little bit about medications and start with it like should people get more medication right now or should they start you know stockpiling medication if they can
1: Very, very good question. And what I know about this is actually also what I've been following from our uh, local uh, um, public health department and also from the CDC. So it's a good idea in preparing to get to try to have at least a 30-day supply of medication. You know, when you can um, for all medications and to maintain the usual medications and taking them the same way and the same timing. Um, That that will be really important, especially as people are having more stress and more anxiety around this. And the stress and anxiety is not just, I think, the the fear of contracting this disease, but all the things that have changed as far as the workplace and people with economic worries and things like that. What I can tell you is that for most medications that we're prescribing for for Huntington's, they're they're long-term medications and so people are on them for a long period of time. And um, a lot of pharmacies have been happy to uh, to provide an extra supply for people. In other words, um, you know, asking if you could get two months of supply rather than one month supply would be a really good question to ask. I think the pharmacies would like to be able to do that, but it depends on the pharmacy and it depends on the patient's insurance, um, you know, whether that will be Possible, but I think it's very much worth asking about. And I think pharmacies are used to helping people if they need what's called a gap supply of medication because they're still waiting for another few days for something to arrive in the mail. Um, Pharmacies are are usually very um, um, happy to help with that. If if anybody has a gap in their medication, it's always good to let your physician or um, um, healthcare provider's office know about that so that they can also send an order or advocate for you. Um, so it's a good idea to get extra medication to go forward if you're able to do that In some cases it may be easier for certain medicines and for other medications But make sure that you're staying in touch with your uh, physician or care office And also with the pharmacy that you use They can, they can be your best resource for that
0: Sure, and I, are you kind of finding that you're getting a lot of people um, asking you for refills And is that a good idea for us to check our refills right now?
1: Oh, it's a good idea to check your refill. So, again, I mentioned a lot of these medications that we're using for Huntington's are long-term, and so um, often, um, you know, we're providing long-term, like a year's worth of refills for things. Well, it depends on when you were seen when that year times out, right? So if you could just take a look and make sure that you have, you know, at least two or three more refills on your current prescriptions, that would be a really good idea. And I think uh, because of the electronic prescribing in most places, it's really pretty... Uh, straightforward for um, for the um, care provider offices and the pharmacies to be able to to do that.
0: Yeah, and I and I think this is probably a question that is really hard to answer. And I and I so I understand it really. It's like kind of a, we don't know. But I know a lot of uh, medications that our loved ones are on are very monitored medications, especially like our loved ones that are more in the end stage or later stages. Um, These are more controlled drugs. Do you think that we're going to see that they are still really holding tight to that? I mean, I know that's that's, that's a really hard question, but, you know, maybe they're not letting 30 days or two months go because they are very controlled drugs.
1: You know that could be um, that could be a consideration in uh, for, you know for certain patients and more in certain parts of the of the country. I think again most of the medications mm-hmm. for Huntington's that are related to mood and movement and sometimes they are controlled substances, especially the group called benzodiazepines. Um, are under um, you know a higher regulatory environment to say the least, um, but normally um, patients aren't needed to change those doses, um, you know, very often. And so I think that they're not looked at um, in, in the in the same way. Sometimes those medications are also being used for mood, for anxiety, or for agitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, we normally like people to have a regular dose of medication and sometimes you can take extra if you need to so that that's kind of written into a prescription um, what I what I will say about the regulatory environment is I don't know right now it hasn't changed You're, you know mm-hmm. we still need to uh, check in you know check in with people how are they doing are they having any side effects
0: sure. um,
1: you know have they been filling the prescription on a regular basis those are things that we're all required to do um, and I don't I don't really think that's going to change but I do I will make one comment and that is for anybody in hospice care all of those those rules are not the same. When you're in hospice care, when you're in late stage care for any medical condition, opioids and other controlled substances are provided through hospice under a much easier system for obtaining them. It, they don't have to do the same regulatory um, process that we have to for people who aren't uh, aren't in hospice. So just to know if people are in that uh, situation, that should not be an issue at all.
0: Okay, all right. Thank you. Yeah, and what about, um, so we all know lots of anxiety, lots of depression, lots of um, strong emotions during this time may be happening within the home. So if our loved ones start to experience more depression, more anxiety, we, we you know, maybe Lisa and I can talk about um, and. Uh, you and i can talk about like ways we can bring those down hopefully just environmentally but if it gets to the point where they're spinning what do we do about medications is it something we call you the providers or what is your suggestion in that
1: yeah. Thank you. So again, most of these medications, many of them will be in place already, and people should continue them and follow the same schedule that they're used to, um, as much as possible. Um, I think that you're you're exactly right that having you know behavioral and environmental support for the person. And and by the way, I put this for the care partner too because I think mm-hmm. it's equally stressful, if not more so, for care partners. Um, so absolutely, reach out to your healthcare providers about this if there's a need to consider changing Increasing, adding uh, medication—it's something that can, you can access through appointments, and sometimes that can be by phone, and sometimes that can be in, uh, in other ways. And I know we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. But reach out to your provider about that, um, and, and just you know, be aware that um, it could happen to anyone in the household, right? So it's just—it's for everybody to, to monitor and to look for signs of if the stress is um, getting uh, too hard to manage. Absolutely, reach out for help without without a doubt.
0: Yeah, okay. So as far as I think it's...
1: Oh, I'm sorry, Katie. I was going to bring up one more thing about medications and that yeah. is, I don't know if you've heard this too, but people have been concerned about the supply chain for medications also uh, because mm. a lot of the components mm. of many of our medications are being made overseas. And I wanted to let you know sure. that from everything that I've seen and heard, the supply chain is still intact. Um, and that's through, this is now, we said March 19th, but that's through the, um, you know, through our um, our leadership and through the um, through the um, national uh, monitoring of, of these things that there's no concern that we're going to be running out of medications or not have them in supply. So the reserves are there. The I think that um, people don't need to worry about that happening, um, at, you know, at least at this time. And I, I would say going forward, it would take a lot more than this probably to interrupt those supply chains.
0: Okay. All right. Very good. Um, and so is there anything before, um, I'm glad you brought that up And and. Is there anything else about medications before we move on? Thank you so much for, for that because I think that has, that's obviously – we're scared about food, right? So obviously we're really scared about medication with our, fo- our supply chains. I think that this panic, if we can bring some of it down, it's going to make us feel better, right? And
1: so. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, no, nothing, in, yeah. nothing more about medications, I would say. So check when your refills are ending, you know, reach out to your healthcare provider about them. Check with your pharmacy if you need a GAP prescription or to see how, how much of a supply you can get ahead of time. Um, and uh, reach out to your care providers, your, you know, your physician, nurse practitioner, um, psychiatrist, whoever's prescribing medications or knows you best. If you need to have some additional help with medication or check in about that, please don't hesitate to reach out to them. That's going to be the best thing to do.
0: Yeah. Okay, so clinic visit, Um, are clinics still seeing patients?
1: Um, we're still seeing patients at UC Davis and so um, the answer is though that we're also uh, making some phone calls uh, to our patients and, we, um, and we're and we doing that especially for our Huntington's patients to check in and see if they have an upcoming appointment, how they're doing, if there's a distance that they have to travel or if they're having anybody, if they've been ill or have any possible symptoms of being ill or their care partners do, uh, we might want them um, to offer to them to convert to a telephone visit or to a video visit. And so, So we're very lucky um, at UC Davis, they have this at Kaiser I know too, that we can have people um, um, download an app to get into the electronic health record through my chart and um, you ping us um, on your smartphone or your tablet and you can um, we get a message that you're there and then we uh, connect up to a smartphone or a tablet and we can see each other and do a visit. Um, and those video visits have been very, very helpful. Their telephone is great too. Yeah, yeah. The video visits, we're actually able to check in and, and look at people and see how they appear and we can do a brief neuro exam actually. We can talk to, um, just like we do in clinic, the other people who are who are present there um, in the home with them so I think that can be really helpful um, but this is this is changing day by day as far as these uh, what are called routine visits I do want to say that um, some of our colleagues who specialize in geriatric care care of older people have actually specifically mentioned patients with neurological conditions um, and I would say Huntington's is very much in that category, it can be very helpful to, to keep those appointments and still check in with your providers, maybe even more helpful, um, so that you can maintain your usual care, it can be a way of patient care and self-care for the care partners. So we would like people to stay in touch with us um, through any of those, through any of those. Um, one thing that has changed the last couple of days, they're starting to limit the number of people who come with you to an appointment because of the social distancing. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of sure. asking maybe for people to have one person instead of having several come with them. And I think it makes sense for right now um, because we can do other things through telephone or through video with larger numbers of people if we need to.
0: Yeah. So for the, I know that... Um, this was a long time ago, but we did the telemedicine kind of um, conferencing with uh, with Ray Dorsey, and I thought it was really interesting, actually, what he saw with Mike. Um, so I think it, there's something really, really great about tech- using technology for if people can't come out. Um, is, is that something that it's like financially? Is that something more that like an insurance will be billed just as a normal pay? This isn't something that patients come out of pocket for if they're doing video visits or anything. It, it's still billed to the insurance and kind of the same. The same thing, it it doesn't cost more.
1: Right. It is, it is billed through their insurance. It actually is a lower charge because okay. you don't have a facility charge because you're not there. Uh, but I will say that sure. just a couple of days ago, I think for some patients on Medicare, there what there could be um, a, a, a small charge. I don't know if it would be $25 um, to, to patients who have okay. a certain type it. of Medicare. But as of a couple of days ago, Medicare is waiving all of that. So you're seeing that around the country okay. that all these fees or, or, or other charges that would happen are being waived left and right um in recognition of this being a, you know a really good substitute for in person visit
0: very good okay and so another thing um that's really really People are talking about is clinical trial. I, I think that this is like so important because we're finally here, right? Like we're everyone's so excited. We know that ASOs and these new trials, we we understand that they may not work, but boy, is everyone excited about them. And this has kind of thrown a big, uh, big uh, kind of questioning um, in our community. We're seeing do our uh, do our does our community still go to their clinical trials, um, and and is this going to to halt? Um, you know, us uh, seeing this trial, uh, the, the Roshan Genentech and Wave and these other ones, is it, is it going to pull back and, and take more time because of this now?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a very, very good question. So I can tell you, uh, and I, again, I've been talking with colleagues around the country too. Um, um, study visits for people in a clinical trial of an investigational product are still being seen around the country um, and so those those studies are st- the studies themselves have not changed the studies are still open the studies are still running. It is very possible though that people could have an interruption in, in coming for a study visit. for instance if you get sick, if you've traveled overseas or if you get sick you have to really wait for 21 days to make sure you're healthy before you come in um, so I, I, sure. I by the way I should have mentioned that about these in-person clinic visits too. We are doing some screening about fever, recent um, respiratory symptoms, and uh, recent travel. There's a group of patients where it's probably best not to come in until they've had that 21-day wait. Um, same thing as applying for the um, clinical trial visit. So my, my uh, guess would be for clinical trials, there may be some um, interruptions in the trials in, in um, for particular patients. There might be, for instance, a few do- a few visits that could be um, skipped uh, that might that might not be able to happen. But that's built into the design of the trial to allow for occasions where sometimes people couldn't come. And I think that what's most unknown is no one would have expected a global phenomenon, not just a local one, but a global phenomenon that might um, affect a trial such as the Generation HD1 trial. Um, Worldwide, but um, I would not be, I am not worried that the trial will not be finished or that we won't be able to have the proper data or that, 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 that um, it would have to end. There's nothing that would indicate that to me. Just um, there are going to be some challenges at the sites and for the individuals in the studies, um, perhaps, but um, I'm optimistic that those, those are going to go forward. Um, I think one thing that we're thinking about is the enroll study, and some other sites have as well, enroll where there's no extra treatment going on and people come in once a year Mm -hmm. for an observational study. A lot of places have decided just to... um, to um, um, let those visits be on hold for right now. Um, not The study still open. The study hasn't ended or anything, but at the site level, it might just make more sense to marshal the resources around those active treatment trials more than the ones that are observational, and then to pick up those visits once we have come uh, past the COVID-19 infection, um, and then uh, people can, can come in and we can catch up on some of those visits. So we don't want people to be stressed about that either, and it might just be easier right now to, um, to um, take a little bit more time and do those visits uh, in the future instead of trying to, to do them right now.
0: Yeah. Very good. Okay, is there, any, is there any other thing that we should discuss or talk about as far as clinic visits or clinical trials? Do we cover? Is there anything I missed as, my question, as far as my questions? No,
1: I think you've covered them really well. Thanks, Katie.
0: Okay. Great. Okay. So I would like to kind of jump into some research uh, to, while I still have you guys um, and take the full time we have with you guys because we, we don't get experts like this very often that we can talk about, especially in times like this. So I would love to talk about resources and maybe some, some coping things that we can do at home. Um, I also uh, the, I think one of the saddest things that we're seeing across social media and our communication platforms is... Um, are caregivers that aren't able to see their loved ones. So, of course, there's going to be challenges in the home. Um, but there's there's strong strong emotional um, sadness within our community right now because they are not able to see their loved ones that are in facilities right now. And um, as we know, people are are we have a lot of a lot of our community that are in, in facilities and um, not being able to see their mothers or their spouses or their children. And um, so, if you guys would like to dive in that. Um, with me that would be great um
2: yeah thanks katie this is lisa um well first what i want people to know whoever is listening is it's normal for all of us to have heightened stress and anxiety during this time and even potentially some depression or to feel scared. So those are all completely normal. No, nobody's going crazy. Um, You know, it's just, it's normal to have those because those are uncertain times. We don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. None of us can really predict how this is sort of all gonna end or resolve or anything. Um, So we're all just doing the best we can. So give yourself the pat on the back for, you know, surviving day to day, Um, as Dr. Wheelock shared, it is important that any concerns you have um, about your HD loved ones or any changes or difficulty coping that they might have, you reach out to your HD team. HD teams are still available and talking to folks, whether it's via phone or email or video or whatever, just reach out to your care providers and your HD team so that you can problem solve specific situations would be my recommendation. Mm -hmm. The other thing is just to look at, you know, just sort of coping strategies and things of that nature. Um, You know, environmental, we're all going to have the increased stress during the time, but we just need to put more effort into sort of managing some of that. So, you know, the traditional things like, you know, eating as healthy as possible. I'm a comfort eater, so you can still comfort eat. But, (laughs) you know, the more you can (laughs) eat as healthy as possible, the better. Uh, make sure that you're getting some sort of exercise and movement, even if that's, you know, you do a dance party in your living room with your kids and whoever, or you're, you know, going out and playing soccer on the lawn or whatever it might be, if there's nice weather. And if, of course, if you can get out and walk Mm -hmm. around the neighborhood or, you know, on a trail, that's great too. But just some exercise where you're, you know, getting your body moving. Um, I think, what Dr. Wheelock and I have talked a lot about is how do we help people stay connected, but yet be socially disconnected, (laughs) you know? um, So we want people to say, you know, safely be socially connected. And some of the ways to do that is through Skype and um, what's the iPhone one FaceTime and, you know, some of those things, or just, you know, the regular old telephone text message, of course, email, Mm -hmm. but, um, You know, research has shown that actually video visits actually do help people have improved mood, and they feel more connected with people when they get to see them in, you know, in real time, even if it's on a video. So, um, to your point about families that aren't able to visit their loved ones in facilities, um, well, one, Mm -hmm. I am heartbroken for you guys, but two, I would talk call the facility because I know they're not letting you visit, and see if they have tablets or phones or something available and could, you know, and staff persons that I'm sure are still there to assist your loved ones so that you can set up a video appointment or video appointment, sorry, a video visit or a video call with them so that you can at least, you know, say hi and I love you. Um, I noticed Netflix, I don't know how to do it, but Netflix is doing like um video parties where people are all at their own separate houses, but watching a movie together. Um, So some of our high-tech friends can figure that piece out. Yeah, Um, But that's kind of a cool new way to stay connected with people and feel like you're still sort of have a sense of normalcy without it being normal, right? Um, Right. So trying to find ways. Some facilities have, you know, you can email pictures or letters you know, whether you scan a picture that your, you know, kid drew or a granddaughter drew or grandson, um, and they hang it up to them or give them to your loved ones, that's another way to just let them know that you're thinking of them. Um, and some of the other things to limit uh, or to minimize, I guess, stress and anxiety is limit your overexposure to social media. <laughs> you know, don't, mm-hmm. it's common to sort of want to, take in as much information as you can, but if you feel your body getting overloaded or not absorbing information or just feeling really anxious about all the different changes that are going on, even turning things off for 15 minutes and just taking a little, you know, some peace and quiet outside will really help um, everyone, whether they have Huntington's or not, um, just sort of reduce their anxiety. Mm -hmm. Of course, deep breathing always helps as well. Um, You wanna get sleep Um, and then you know, it's kind of a time to get back to basics, if you will, like within the household system and just make sure, you know, people have their own space that if they need time alone and to decompress, that there's a place that they can go do that and be happy. Try to keep your daily routine as, quote, unquote, normal as possible. Um, If there is more people Mm -hmm. in the home during the day than normal, which is highly likely in this situation, um, you know maybe you institute like this is quiet hour from 1 to 2 p.m. and everyone just does quiet you know individual activities whether it's arts or nap or whatever they might be just so that people can sort of have their time alone because
1: we all need that too um
2: and let's see i don't know yeah. is there anything else
1: Doctor i just think um you touched on it and katie um, that's why we were so glad that you invited us to do this. I think the thing I'm the most worried about is that is the isolation that people may feel. I think Huntington's is already very mm-hmm. isolating and can be. And then you take something like... Um, Social distancing, and that seems like it's going to be really hard, so I think any opportunities that we can use our voices, our telephones, um, our you know other uh, social media to connect stay connected with each other, to reach out, check in on each other. Um, will really make a difference. And you know, again, the healthcare teams are very much here to support everybody and to, and to help them. And if you find that things seem to be uh, getting worse or reaching um, a level that you can't tolerate, please call and please reach out. Um, because I, I speak for ourselves, but I know I speak for all healthcare providers who are comp- um, you know, very, very invested in in the health of our citizens in our country to to be there and to be helping people as much as they can. People are going above and beyond every day, and families are doing that too, and that's why we want to try to minimize the stress as much as we can.
2: Absolutely, and I think, you know, one of the hardest things with this is uh, in-person support groups for Huntington's. A lot of families depend on Mm -hmm. those, and unfortunately Mm -hmm. those have been – uh, canceled or, well, yeah, postponed um, at least through April, but potentially longer. Um, and one of the most amazing and inspiring things I have found working with the Huntington's community is their resilience and is their connectiveness to each other and how important that is for their health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's yeah. important to try to keep that. Some support groups may have a video Platform that they can use, but there are HDSA does have video support groups. We run about six a month, um, and they're anywhere from for care partners, there's Spanish speaking ones, there's ones for at risk persons, there's one for early stage Huntington's, there's ones for all kinds of people. So I'm sure someone can find one that works for them and a date and time that works for mm-hmm. them. And they're all different times, there's some on the weekends, some after work. Um, some during the day, it, you know, it just depends. But those are really good ways to stay connected as well and stay connected with people that are walking in your shoes, you know, because they're they're living right. the same thing, same struggles. Um, so I think those are good. There's also a lot of um, – HDSA has uh, free teletherapy, basically. Um, so you can do uh, teletherapy with a licensed uh, – usually social worker or psychotherapist or marriage and family therapist. Um, You can get up to eight free sessions. It's a one-on-one. You can either do it via telephone or video. um, And that is available to any of our Huntington's families uh, and community members as well. You can find all of this on HDSA website. Um, You just type in telehealth or type in video uh, support groups and, and the information will pop up. And I think, Katie, you just mentioned Help for HD is going to do some virtual education, which I think is fabulous and will give our families still more opportunity to sort of see each other and connect and feel less isolated. And, you know, sometimes it's nice just to hear a familiar voice or see a familiar
1: face.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, and it's so funny. When we canceled Sacramento, um, I called all the registrants, and and I'm doing that now for Michigan. Um, And... It's so it's so interesting when you call how disappointed they are, um, because it's they wanted to be together as a community, right? They wanted to learn, they wanted that social interaction, they wanted more more than anything that time uh, with each other, and so it really it really did show me that we could do it virtually, and and we're going to try, but you know our best to bring uh, Michigan. are you know we're start we're getting ready to do this big virtual conference, first ever. Um, we'll see how that goes. I think it's going to go great. Um, But, you know, trying to have to, this is temporary, you know. Um, I think that's the one thing I was telling everyone, you know. We don't know how long this is going to last, but it can't can't last forever. So um, let's hope not. So we're going to, you know, eventually we will get back together as a community and we will be able to be together. But what do we use, what strategies do we use right now um, with the tools that we have in, in a very tech, savvy world we live in. So right. there is virtual support groups. I'm very glad about that. Um, you know, we do have, I, I think social media is really interesting because you do get so much support through social media and all the different groups, but there is a lot of news. And we are kind of saying, you know, limit news, limit that. So right. I think it's really good to to take it in doses um, and um, for sure. And um, I think that... Uh, you know, I think I said this on yesterday's show and I've been saying this to people. Um, I think, like, some of the most, you know, everyone's my my loved ones feeling a lot of anxiety and they're feeling, you know, with the news and everything. And I think one of the best things that Mike and I shared uh, when he would get really anxious is we'd watch Andy Griffith. We'd watch I Love Lucy. We would watch yeah. The Golden Girls. We'd watch shows like that because it would instantly bring us down. It was simple. We didn't have to follow a lot. There was really no... Anxiety or shoot 'em up or anything like that, right? It was just very calm and we were able to get humor in it. It was funny, and it brought a calmness to Mike and I um so I think you know going back to those things, those simple things um is is important right now. Um, something we should always maybe be doing here and there, but right now, especially to to bring us right. bring us calmness a little bit in a in a world of chaos um absolutely, yeah, so. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear about the virtual um uh the vir- virtual uh through Amwell through uh yeah. HGSA. I'm glad to hear that was still going. I knew it started in 2017. I wasn't sure if the grant carried over. So it's really good to hear that it did.
1: Um yes, it is, good. and
0: people
2: should definitely take advantage of it. I mean, let's be I might take advantage yeah. of it myself, but um <laughs> um yeah, it's really you know yes. we have had several patients that have utilized it um it's free you don't have to enter any insurance information, so they don't even know who your insurance is through but um and even a lot of uh insurance companies are offering this in addition to what has been offered before, so they're reducing some of the restrictions and things like that, so like you know, I can do i 'm not a therapist, but if I were a therapist, I could do therapy across state lines uh, currently and not be penalized for it or anything like that. The same with doctors you know where they can take care of patients across straight lines. And not be penalized at this moment in time, because we just want to take care of each other, but I think it is important yeah. patients have been very found patients and families have found it to be very beneficial to do both video support groups and one on one video therapy, so um, definitely take advantage of them, you know of those opportunities if you need the extra support and I think we could all use a little bit of extra support these days, so get it where you can yeah. take it. Um. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, okay. And I think uh, did I miss anything else, sir? Before we wrap up the show, I know you guys have probably have a lot of work to do.
1: Actually, Katie, I really loved hearing what you said about how you and Mike would find a calming moment, you know, when watching these um, classic television shows. And it occurred to me um, there might be a lot of other things that you or people that you know might recommend to this audience in terms of just of that self-care and that way to help to reduce anxiety. So there might be other things that you've heard about. And I thought I would ask you uh, if you had any other ideas or suggestions for people.
0: Yeah, you know, it's so funny we we've been I've been racking my brain, you know, over things um that that and especially in the facility. The one the one thing um I'm getting ready to do a show about um uh, our loved ones that are in facilities and but the one thing and, and I know that the 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 bad wraps of facilities get you know, the top of the news. Um, But there are some really amazing facilities out there and um, amazing people working in them. And, I mean, I know my best friend, Katrina Hamill, is the most compassionate person I know, and she worked in a care home for years, a hospice care home before she came here, and she would do anything for her patients. Um, You know, I think communication with the facilities is so important. Um, You know, I know it's crazy there and they they have a lot of work and they're locked down and I know there's a lot going on. But, you know, short communication and asking them things about what you can do or send your loved one to help through these times. um, I think communication is always important. Um, when it comes to facility, um, I think also I think we as a community we are very cautious of our our providers and our professionals and their time, um, and I think that's a good thing. Um, not everyone I'm sure is, but I think a lot of us are. I think that those the providers are there to help us. So if there is any medications or anything, you know, I, that was my biggest thing is I always felt so bad about calling and bothering um, my care team and then my care team who's on the phone right now would say, "No, you're <laughs> supposed to call us. That's why we're here." Um, <laughs> So I think always keeping um, um, that in mind, too, that they are there to help you. And if you need help, um, I think one of the biggest things is emergency is emergency. You have a psychiatric emergency. You have an emergency with your loved one. They fall and they hit their head. Uh, they choke. They aspirate. You don't know what to do. An emergency is an emergency. You still go to the hospital. You still call 911. Right. This virus should not sway anyone from getting emergency services. Um, they sometimes are. They mean life or death. So. Um, keeping the safety of our loved ones and ourselves always at the topmost, at most uh, priority in any situation, uh, virus or not. Um, so I think that I think that you know, um, I think really just being being kind to each other right now. It's the hardest thing sometimes. Frustrations when you're frustrated. Care, caregiving is so hard anyway. It's so hard, and then you're frustrated with life and you're scared about finances and life and you have to, you just have to be boiling. And I think Lisa said something that's so important is, is caregiver self-care right now is more important than it has ever been. If you Absolutely. need to walk outside and you need to breathe, walk outside and breathe. Right. <laughs> that's okay. Well
2: said, but, Katie. Well said.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was the worst at it. I was, was by far the worst at it. And it's, but you, you know, Oh, no, you are got to do it.
2: You know, some days you're going to be great at it and you're going to think, oh, I'm really killing this. And then other days you're going to think, "Ah, that was not a good one. And you just try again the next day. It's okay. That's the other thing. Give yourselves breaks. We're all just trying to do our best.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's huge right now is to to give each other breaks for sure. Um, Thank you both so much for coming on and thank you for um, all that you guys Thank you for helping us with Sacramento that was canceled. Thank you for everything you guys do. Um, I always feel so blessed because everywhere I go, people say you live in Sacramento, and I'm like, yeah. You know how good of care you get? I said, yeah, I do know. <laughs> We're very lucky here in Sacramento. We do have the best of the best. Um, and uh, so, thank you for sharing your guys's time with us. It means so much. And um, look for uh, look for Sacramento to be postponed, and we get to come together hopefully at the end of the year and um virtual events um i've already begged uh and put my hands together for lisa so um uh, we'll make sure that uh we announce when all that is ready to go uh for our virtual conferencing so um thank you both so much and um take care and
2: be well stay healthy everybody
0: yes and everyone on the call remember we always need to be kind support your loved ones support your and make sure you always use self-care um Next week we will be talking about peer to peer. We're going to do more peer to peer support. So we have a lot of sh- uh, lot of shows. Sign- uh, I can't even talk right now. A lot of shows lined up. Um, we have some about people that uh, families that are in facilities that are and what they are doing uh, for their loved ones. We have some shows about caregivers that are at home uh, twenty four hours now with their loved ones. Lockdown and things that they're doing um, to cope. Um, we have some shows of people that are coming on that are helping families from afar. So we have a lot of different shows coming up next week. So stay tuned for that uh, schedule. Uh, on Monday we will be kicking off um, talking to a couple caregivers that their families um, are in facilities. So uh, stay tuned for some peer-to-peer support that will be coming through the radio. Until then, everyone stay uh, stay well, and we will talk next week. Take care.
1: Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Katie.